Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting next to my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, we're at the midway point of the week here as Packers Seahawks Sunday, 5.40 p.m. Central at Lambeau Field, an NFC Divisional Playoff game is fast approaching. We will continue our deep dive into Puget Sound, maybe, as we oh, continue like to examine the Seattle Seahawks here. And interestingly, Wes, you look at these two teams, the Packers and the Seahawks, and there aren't a whole lot of similarities in how they play, but yet you look at their seasons and there are a lot of similarities in just how they figure out ways to win. I mean, that's the similarity between these two teams, but in terms of like the X's and O's and the personnel, there are very few similarities. So it's just kind of a strange matchup in that sense. It really is, but that's why I love it so much. Yeah. Because it's the NFL. I mean, there's so many different ways you can get from A to Z, and <laughs> and I think Seattle and Green Bay have both proved that. But you do mention some of the statistical parallels between the two. They tied for, I think, second or third in the NFL. Third in the NFL, I think it was second in the NFC. Uh, for the best turnover margin, uh, plus 12 on the season with how they ended things. They're both really strong red zone offensive teams. I think in some areas they've, you know, I think they're right next to each other in run defense in the 20s. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just there's been a lot of different things that they both seems to do relatively similar. Now, all that being said, you can throw that out the window once they step on the field, but seeing... You know, which team ends up on the, the positive side of the turnover battle? Which team controls the time of possession? Which team defends the run better than the other? These are all the little tiny boxes that you check off and route to figuring out who the better team is and who's going to advance to the NFC Championship. And then when you just throw in the fact that outside of teams in the NFC North, they know each other as well as anybody in the NFL for non-divisional opponents. Yeah. They've seen each other every season for the last six years. Uh, I haven't seen members of my family for the last six years. <laughs> so, I mean, just to, to see how this is kind of laid out and played out, uh, you don't really get the matchups with Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady and obviously when Peyton Manning was playing as much as I'm sure fans would like, but they've seen Russell Wilson year after year and you know, seeing him match wits with Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, those, those are fun things to be able to dissect and really look into. But I think another interesting aspect of this, you mentioned the familiarity and how many times these teams have played one another regular season and postseason over the last six or seven years. But yet the 2019 versions of these teams don't really look like the teams that we've seen yeah. in years past. Because yes, you have Russell Wilson, you have Aaron Rodgers. But Matt LaFleur is the new head coach in Green Bay. The Packers have a lot of new personnel on defense. The Seahawks, the Legion of Boom, is no longer there in the secondary. We talked about how their top running backs have been injured and they've been you know, filling in guys who don't have the, as the same level of experience in uh, that offense. So as familiar as they are with one another over the over the long haul, over the course of time, these two teams, the 2019 Packers and the 2019 Seahawks, are very different, even from the two that met in November on that Thursday night game in Seattle just over a year ago. Yeah, and one other thing I want to be able to use off of that pivot to is when you look at the roster construction, I think one area where the Packers have kind of caught up to Seattle, in one area I thought I tipped my cap my cap to John Snyder, I thought they did a tremendous job with this, was augmenting their roster with veteran players, leadership 
and obviously production on the field. John Snyder has been doing a tremendous job of that going back for the last decade now. Green Bay, in a lot of times, would end up being maybe caught with an undrafted rookie in a certain position that maybe he wasn't quite ready for, sure. or having to you know place you know fill out their special teams units with guys that maybe don't have a lot of experience. With the way that they built this team this year, you see the Mercedes Lewises and you know being able to you know find guys like Ibrahim Campbell, uh, Tyler Irvin, who is a fourth-year pro, uh, put them onto your team and and not have them with this you know deer in the headlights kind of look. Yeah. Not only does that allow you to, to put guys that are you know have been in those situations before on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, I think it's also allowed your your Ty Summers of the world, you know, a rookie that's played on all the core special teams all season. He's ready for these moments in the areas in which he has been asked to play the entire season. That's one thing I've always been impressed with Seattle about is I just feel like in all three phases they play to their personnel and you're not going to catch them being unprepared. Not saying that the Packers weren't, but I just think there's a lot of veteran leadership there that has helped Seattle through this run. And now when you look at Green Bay, when you talk about the difference to what that roster looked like last November to what they are here in January of 2020, that's what stands out to me. They added not only those four free agents, but yeah. then you look at the Jared Valdeers, the Ryan Grants, even though he hasn't been asked to play yet. All these guys have a lot of pelts on the wall at this point, and if they get called upon, they're going to be ready for it. So it's just an exciting time. It's an exciting week to be able to discuss this matchup and the latest permutation of, of this rivalry over the last decade. Yeah, well, and it seems as though with these two teams, you sort of get the latest permutation of the team on a week-to-week -week basis. Yeah. And what I mean by that, you look at the Seattle Seahawks. We talked all season long about how the Packers keep finding different ways to win. They make some key plays in the fourth quarter. Maybe it's on defense with an interception. Maybe it's on offense with a big third down conversion. Maybe it's a big punt on special teams that flips the field. Those are the ways in the fourth quarter the Packers have won games. You look, you look at the Seahawks, Wes, this is a team, a defense that – in 16 regular season games, had 28 sacks, not even two per game over the course of the regular season. So what do they do in the wild card game in Philadelphia? They sack Carson Wentz and Josh McCown a combined seven times. 25% yeah. of their sack production of the entire season, they get it in one game in the playoffs when they got to have it on the road yeah. to stay alive. That's that's what has defined the Seahawks. That in some ways is what has defined the Packers when we talk about you find a way to win. You do what it takes that day to chalk up the W and move on. So a funny little side story to this. Uh, I have to put together the game program for all these Packer home games, uh, which is just a joyous, joyous <laughs> venture for myself. Uh, but I was working with Lexi Kinnard, who's one of our production assistants here, and she was getting together the dope sheet that Nate Lacasio, Tom Fanning, all our wonderful people up in communications put together. Yeah. And in that is the in-the-league ranking section. Right. Where they list out the leaders on the team in all these categories. And I'm looking at Seattle's, and it's Jaron Reed with four sacks. Four sacks. And is I there, literally is there say to Lexi, leader? like, wait, double-check that. That yeah. can't be right. It can't be four sacks. Because I thought Jadavian Clowney made Maybe had more. He only had three. Right. So like, they just for whatever reason this year, and I think it probably goes back to what you were saying yesterday, where it isn't quite the dominant defense of yesteryear, mm -hmm. but they have good personnel and they play to it. Ken Norton Jr. has been a guy that has been there for many years now. He understands what Pete Carroll's looking for, and they understand the strengths of that defense. It just so happens that for whatever reason, 
the the big pressure statistic this year wasn't something that Seattle really thrived in. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting how that played out. I want to get back to that in a second, but I need to take care of some sponsor business. Select Cousin Subs locations are now offering delivery. Whether you're ordering, catering, or your favorite sub, they're delivering right to you when you order online at CousinSubs.com. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. Yeah, it's interesting the way the way this season has evolved because I don't think I don't think this particular version of the Seattle defense has uh, um, something that is their trademark, so right. to speak. And I think in a lot of ways, this Packers offense with the first season of Matt LaFleur and everybody getting adjusted to the new system and, and Aaron Rodgers working his way through the playbook and all the processing that he does at the line of scrimmage, I don't know if this Packers offense necessarily has a trademark in year one of LaFleur's system, but... By the same token, when you get when you get into the postseason, we heard Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers talking last week about the bye week, the self-scout process, finding what you do best, and maybe cutting back on some of the different concepts and segments of the playbook that you study it and they didn't go as well as you had hoped, and so right. you pare things down a little bit. And you have to believe the Seahawks defensively, when you look at their numbers, you know, 20... 22nd and 26th in the league, one or the other, in terms of yards allowed, points allowed on the season. I mentioned the low sack total. They haven't been very good in the red zone uh, relative 26th. to the rest of the league. <clears throat> but you know with Pete Carroll and the way he coaches defense, and as long as he's been doing this and as successful as he's been, he's going to put the best defense he can out there in terms of this is what we've done well this year, and so this is this is what we're going to ride uh, and, and try to make it work against whatever opponent. That's the sense that I get yeah. in terms of how you go about it when over the course of the regular season you weren't some highly ranked juggernaut. So Absolutely, and I want to address that, but first off I need to give myself a correction because we're all about accuracy here on Packers okay. Unscripted. It was Rasheem Green that led them in sacks, not Jaron Reed. Jaron okay. Reed only had two and a half, Green had four. Yeah, and I, I actually really enjoyed, uh, you know, Pete Carroll spoke to, they haven't really had much of media availability yet this week, but he spoke to their reporters on Monday, and I thought he made two really great points. The first one was Green Bay is as difficult as any place in the NFL to play, especially this time of the year. And, I mean, the record bears it out. They're 0-3 going into this, at least under Pete Carroll, trying to you know, turn that around from their perspective. But the other thing, when you look at the way he's going to have this team ready, he said we are going to be as ready as we can be for this matchup and what it's going to take. And I think when you look, you know, with what Pete Carroll has done, I've always felt like he's an underrated coach. I know that sounds weird because he won a Super Bowl and he's been there for a decade now, but when you just look at the, the entire gamut of what he did at the college level and the pro level, you go back and watch some of those clips of him as an assistant coach in places in the early 90s. Yeah. I mean, this guy's been doing it for a long time. He's a master motivator, and he also understands his personnel to the tiniest of details. And that is, I think, what has allowed them to create winning game plans, especially this time of the year. It's what has allowed them to get on some runs. So, yeah, when you look at all the statistics, it doesn't look tremendous for Seattle, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. But they find ways to win. Last week was a great example of it on offense where, you know, they had 17 carries from the backfield for 19 yards. Well, they got their receivers going. Uh, there's been times when you look at Hollister this year, who's, what, the third or fourth tight end that's right. been up for them? Yeah. <clears throat> Luke Wilson didn't even start the season with them before returning, and now he's the quote-unquote starter. 
they find ways to win. And when you have a team that has been beat up and banged up and has had to weather injuries throughout the course of the season, they've been able to to maneuver, maneuver those pieces around. Then, again, going back to John Snyder, Quandre Diggs gets added midseason. You heard all the things in Detroit, how much of a loss that was for them. That was a very emotional uh, transaction for them to lose him. And he goes to Seattle and has helped be a, a fixture in that, that defense. So... All these things add together that yeah. it doesn't matter what the full season says at this point. It's what did you look like in your last matchup. That's the only thing that you can really go off of, I think, when you try to predict, if you even can, how these postseason matchups are going to play out. Yeah, I mean, I think there's an argument to be made. And I know Pete Carroll is a coach that a lot of Packers fans despise. And, you know, they don't <laughs> like all the, the TV shots of him chewing his gum and cheering and pumping his fist and all that kind of stuff. I get it. Trust me, I get it. But I think there's an argument to be made. When you look at all the injuries the Seahawks have dealt with this year, they've had they've been banged up on the offensive line. Over the last couple of years, they've completely replaced that Legion of Boom secondary. They've had all the injuries that they've had at running back throughout the course of the year, some key positions. On top of the fact that San Francisco was a rising highly competitive team obviously this year and that division also included the Los Angeles Rams the defending NFC champions who went to the Super Bowl and yet this Seahawks team came an inch away from winning the division championship in the NFC West I think there's an argument to be made that regardless of what happens from here on out with the Seahawks this might be Pete Carroll's best coaching job that that he's done there and that's saying a lot for a guy who's gone to two Super Bowls and all sorts of playoff appearances and whatnot but we talked about this in in some respects you know in other years with Mike McCarthy where when there's so much to have to overcome to create a successful season and to get where you are those are sometimes the ones that become the best coaching jobs not necessarily the the championship season that everybody remembers. Yeah, and, and there's a couple of those things that jump out to you. Uh, certainly with McCarthy, I think you always look at 13 and how they kept themselves in it, and 15, how they were able to, to pull through despite all, the litany of injuries they dealt with. But from Pete Carroll's perspective, it isn't just how he managed this team. It's how him and that whole organization has kept them afloat. I mean, you look at it, Mike, they had to stare themselves in the mirror for a long time for a couple seasons. Now, they didn't fall into those kind of doldrums that the Saints did, and even to some extent the Packers did with these, you know, 6-9-1, and 7-9 type seasons. But you remember Earl Thomas being carted off the field yeah. and, and the questions with, with Richard Sherman. And, you know, it wasn't just that the Legion of Boom era ended, it was how it ended and what they had to do to keep their ship afloat. And they did that. And they've been able to create, I think, not that there was anything wrong with the past culture, that was their identity, but they forged a new one now with this current makeup and this current group, and then you bring in the Marshawn Lynches of the world. I, you know, I know they were saying they want to get Lynch going more, but you and I have been talking since the beginning. I mean, just the, the idea of him reinserting himself into that locker room and what that could do, not only for the veterans that are still there, but some of these young guys that have looked up to him. I mean, those are important voices to have. It's not always just about having 140 yards rushing, although I'm sure the Seattle Seahawks would willingly take it. It's about what those guys can do to formulate a culture, a chemistry, and and make themselves believe. I think that's what Seattle's done. They believe. It's on the Packers now going into this matchup on Sunday to say, you know what, we're the healthier team. Statistically, we're the better team. We're the more complete team, and we're going to be the team advancing to the NFC title game. What do you make of Pete Carroll's assertion earlier this week 
he made it pretty clear that he wants to get Marshawn Lynch more involved. He wants to feed him the ball more. Now, we've seen his limited involvement in the two games that he's been back, but Lynch does have a rushing touchdown in each of those games yeah. against San Francisco in Week 17 and then against Philadelphia in the wild card game. We also saw the rookie running back Homer fumble on his first postseason carry yeah. against the Eagles last week, which the Seahawks fortunately were able to recover. I think that threw a little bit of a, a scare into um, maybe what they were planning to do in some respects against the against the Eagles. That's just speculation on my part. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are on when we hear from Pete Carroll, like, yeah, we want to get Lynch the ball more. We want to we want to ramp this up more. It's almost as though he's saying we want to try to get back to that Seahawks postseason team that we've been in the past. Yet, of course, Pete Carroll is as aware as anyone that this is not the same team that he's had in the past, like we've been talking about. Yeah. It, so what I when I heard those words, and and I've watched both of these these last couple games. I watched the San Francisco game too. Yeah. What stands out to me, what I kept thinking in the back of my mind, is what Buffalo went through this year. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, Singletary is a much more accomplished, uh, a higher, highly touted pick here than what Homer was, but they also had Frank Gore. Frank Gore is steady Eddie. He is the veteran. He's seen every situation, and when you give him the ball, you know he's going to be you know smart with it. Singletary though has the bigger threat of a home run. That's the question I think that they need to answer right now with okay. how they want to use Travis Homer yeah. and how they want to actually go on about incorporating uh, Marshawn Lynch. And I think a lot of that is dependent on game situations. If it's me, you know, Homer was a draft pick of theirs. Obviously, we've talked about all these other guys that have come through for them. But, I mean, this is a guy that they felt good about going back earlier to the summer. And even though he didn't get his opportunity right away, there was obviously something that they liked in him. And he's younger. I see that guy as the guy that if I'm the coach, I want to get him out there early. And depending on what that game looks like at halftime, that's when the Marshawn Lynch show begins because you just know he's going to be smart with the football. He's going to be consistent because, as you said, you know you don't want to speculate, but I think it isn't even that big of a speculation. When you have an unproven young running back and they put the ball on the ground, there's going to be questions yeah. there. There's going to be some uncertainty. And at the very least, with Lynch, you know what you're getting. Now, all that being said, I have to be, give credit where credit's due. Marshawn Lynch, even though the yards per carry aren't exactly what I think pro everyone probably wants them to be so far, sure. his goal line dive, I was really impressed with the vertical he got on that. I was not anticipating that from a 33, 34-year-old running back. And even some of the small things he's done well, to the, this the way The way he powered that one in inside the five against yeah. uh, the Eagles last week, that was an impressive run. That was the, the beast mode power run. Uh, you know, in a short yardage type situation that that you're used to seeing, and and maybe maybe it was seeing that yeah. that uh, that's prompted Pete Carroll to say, okay, maybe maybe Marshawn has his he has his legs back under him again. Let's let's maybe see if we can ride this guy a little bit. I just think the fact that Pete Carroll put that out there, and the fact that. Uh, if there is anybody in you know in the NFC divisional round who's going to have fresh legs, so to speak, it's a guy like Lynch, even though he yeah. is the age that he is, but he didn't play. He's only playing in his third game in essentially the last year and a half. Yeah, and I'll say this too. I mean, if you're going to have to turn to Marshawn Lynch at this juncture of the season, I actually would prefer what ended up happening with them where they basically sign him off the street as opposed to him being on the roster all year and taking those hits. I mean, Aaron Jones, a conversation I had with him two weeks ago, really changed my mindset on all that. I mean, yeah, there is something to be said for being in a groove and feeling momentum and, and you know being in football shape. There also is something, too, with your body being healthy in January and the benefit of not having all that wear and tear on it. So I'm not saying that 
the Seahawks have like tapped into something we're going to see become common, where all right. these veterans just come back for postseason. Well, there was runs. all that speculation about the Patriots and Gronk, and Gronk and everything if they were going to bring him back, and then that didn't work out. But yes, go ahead. But uh, you know, all these things that you factor into it, it just it's going to be a really interesting situation for the Seahawks because I think no matter if it's Bailey, oh hey, I said Homer Bailey there for a second, <laughs> Travis Homer, uh, whether it's Homer, whether or not it's Marshawn Lynch. The Seahawks, if they feel like they're going to have a chance in this game, they're going to have to get the run game going more than they did last week. I, for as much as people want to make about the Packers and, oh, are they, are they really a 13-3 team? 13, they're not going to allow Russell Wilson to have the game he did against Philly if Seattle doesn't even threaten to consistently run the ball right. at their backfield. Yeah. That's going to be a recipe for disaster when you look at Sedarius Smith, Preston Smith, and the rest of those guys. For Green Bay... That is my blueprint, though, right now. It's being able to make sure that you contain Russell Wilson and you can contain that running game because if you do that, that's what makes those downfield shots to DK Metcalf more difficult to do, and it's going to be what allows you know Tyler Lockett not to be able to get into the rhythm that he has against some of these teams this year. Yeah, I would agree with you. Well, we've got plenty more to talk about here as the week continues with uh, this playoff game approaching. But for now, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. You can subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services, and there's all kinds of great video content out there on the Packers YouTube channel. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.